Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. What's going on, people? Today, I've got Cato Walters on the podcast. This is going to be a really, really fun episode to listen to. Cat has got like the coolest accent of any person I've ever interviewed and consequently has also built the highest cash flow portfolio of any guest I've had on the show so far per door. So she's got some tips and tricks she's going to share with you on how you can do the very same. Cat is out of uh, Jersey City, New Jersey and is investing in Syracuse, New York. So uh, we also touch on you know how you can invest in out-of-state markets and, and pull this off yourself. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So sit back and take some notes. Today, I have Kata Walters on the podcast. I'm super excited to have you, Kata. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure pl- to be here. It's my pleasure. You're, you officially have the coolest accent of any guest I've had on the show. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I connected with Kata on Instagram, and um, she's got a lot of momentum in real estate investing. Uh, Kata was a former model and is still doing a little bit of that, but has transitioned into real estate investing full time, and is currently in Jersey City. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this uh, this episode as she tells her story, and you're going to pick up some tips and tricks on how you can you can make progress as she has. So um, without further ado, give us the the down low on kind of how you got into real estate investing. Right. Well, you know, it's a it's an inter- interesting story. I think um, looking back now, like back to my childhood, my early 20s, I always had a thing for real estate. Um, my dad was a rural agent after he retired, so I was a little familiar with the buying and selling process. Um, my parents owned a couple of rentals, um, but basically, you know, I left school at 17 to model full-time overseas. So I, I didn't go to college, um, and I started working as a model in Europe, and then I spent 10 years as a model in Japan before moving to New York um, in 2010, so 10 years ago. Um, and I didn't reconnect with my love of real estate until uh, three and a half years ago, um, very late in my career. Um, and I think the catalyst that pushed me to start and purchase my first rental really came out of necessity. Mm. Um, modeling career, Although it has been long, ups and downs, there's no job security. One week you're busy, one week you're not. And as I started to get older, I started to really worry about what what was my plan B when modeling dried up. I mean, I wasn't going to be able to be a model forever. Mm. Um, and so I decided to start kind of looking into real estate investing. There was an article in Forbes or something, why everyone should be a real estate investor. <laughs> and I ran to, I think I read it at the dentist. I was getting a root canal or something. And I was, I was into just reading anything. And I started looking into this. And, and then it kind of piqued my interest. And I, I bought some books. I read every book available. 
Um, and then suddenly I just kind of, something just clicked for me and there just seemed to be this massive opportunity. Um, and of course, driven by my passion for real estate that I'd already had, um, and some determination, um, I, I kind of felt like I discovered this amazing secret and I'm like, why isn't everyone <laughs> investing in, in, in real estate? I've it, wondered it the same so thing. Simple. I've wondered the same you thing. Know? I don't understand why everybody's not doing it, but good on those that are right. So. Yeah, I'm like, are we in a secret society here? But basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I didn't have any expectations. I fell in love with the process and I, I just decided about three months later that I was going to buy my first rental property with some savings that I had. Small amount, nothing crazy, um, just from my modeling work. And, and then the, the rest is history. That's basically. awesome. What, well, yeah. you know, you're saying you left after basically high school, moved moved overseas to start the modeling thing. That yeah. that takes an adventurous spirit right there. I mean, moving to a moving to a foreign country, moving overseas, away from your family, to do yeah. some to do something that you're passionate about. You know, I, I I love that. I love that. Like I've when I was a kid, my family moved us to Tanzania, and I was you know living in Alabama at the time, right. moved us to Tanzania in East Africa to wow. a place that didn't have a telephone. We had no air conditioning, you know, no hot, no hot water, you know? Yeah. So, so we moved from, you know, the deep South to, you know, nowhere Africa. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I got to see how, you know, how other people live outside of, right. you know, where, where I was from and where I grew up and stuff. And, you know, it, it changed me and it made it, it really created a love for travel, first of all, right. but, but it also created a love for people that are different than me and, and seeing their cultures and stuff. And I'm sure, I'm sure that made a lifelong impression on you, like moving away from home and doing that at such a, an early age, you know? It did. I mean, it was really difficult. It was a really difficult time though, because it all happened really quickly. You know, I was discovered shopping, um, you know, I had my friends at school. I had, I'd planned, I actually wanted to be a vet. Mm. Um, I wanted to specialize in horses. And <laughs> I lived on a farm. I grew up on a farm, very sheltered, kind of rural upbringing. And all of a sudden, I was propelled into this fashion world and cities. I mean, I was, I really struggled. I was really homesick. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to give it up and come home, but I stuck with it. And then, you know, I think now when, you know, as it's as I'm growing into real estate, I see myself. I see that same person that's kind of like a little fearful, but then I'm like, you know what? I I managed that when I was a kid, and I was living alone in these cities. Yeah, and I definitely I think I had some grit from that time because oh, it, was, it really was difficult for me. And I mean, I know I see a lot of young models, and they're out there and they're having no problems at all. But it was a real struggle. Um, but I think I learned a lot from that time and just, you know, that adventurous spirit and the, and that, um, even entrepreneurship, I think just kind of like, yeah. you know, I'm going to give this a go and we'll see what happens. And yeah, I think it's helped me yeah, I mean, with my it, real estate. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a salary. You were being paid as an independent contractor kind yes. of, you know, um, no you guarantees. Know, eat, just eat, like eating what estate. you kill, eating what you kill out there, just, you know, basically landing jobs as you go and, and making it one job at a time. And, you know, that, that's that, right. that translates, that grit translates to real estate investing because nothing is guaranteed, you know? Exactly. And it's kind yep. of, um, 
It's kind of get out there and figure it out as you go. So, um, so we were talking before I hit record and you've got basically as of tomorrow, 10 properties, 26 units, kind of tell us, tell us what those 26 units are comprised of. Right. So I started off, you know, my first few, I started off in the single family rental, you know, I'm a primarily a buy and hold investor. So my goal is to build a, a cash flowing portfolio that I'm going to hold on till the rest of, till the end of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my plan in the beginning. So I was thinking single families, high cash flowing. Um, but, you know, as I got more involved and started looking a little more into multifamily, you know, a deal is a deal. So when I see a deal, um, I'm not afraid if it's a seven unit or I'm not just going to stick to single family. Sure. So I have, a, I have an interesting mix at the moment um, comprised of single families, uh, a triplex, um, a in, in two days, I'll have the seven unit closed. Um, and I have a mixed use commercial, which has five units, four residential, one store. Um, and I have a duplex under contract and another couple of singles. So it's an interesting mix. Nothing crazy, no big apartments, mm-hmm. um, but a manageable um, mix. Very I cool. Think. Very cool. Yeah. So let's talk about how you've taken control of these. Are you, what, what's your strategy when locating a deal? And purchasing, are you using the Burr strategy? Are you saving up cash and putting, you know, twenty percent down on these? How are you approaching these? Right. So I started off in the beginning. It was just saving my own cash, um, conventional financing mm-hmm. for the first couple, for the first three or four, I think. Um, but of course, as a self-employed, you know, I'm self-employed. Um, that was starting to get difficult to try and push these loans through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually dabbled with some seller financing deals when I first set up my LLC to kind of get a track record um, and get a little momentum there. And then I started looking more into commercial financing. Um, I like to work with local banks uh, and I built a relationship with a lender that I like and they offer me good terms and 20% down on commercial, which I really like. Um, this year, I've started working with private investors also in order to scale nice. faster. Um, and that's been exciting. That's definitely given me like the turbo boost mm-hmm. 2020. Um, but I've definitely used some creative financing. You know, I like seller financing. Um, if I can negotiate a good term, um, I think, uh, you know, I flipped a couple of properties also. So I'm, I'm not like stuck in one strategy, I suppose. I like to keep it a little bit fluid so I can pivot as the market changes. Um, but I am doing, I, I guess you would call it a hybrid burr. Um, the three unit I just closed on, uh, I got, I paid cash for, um, but it needs some renovation, but it's fully occupied. So we're going to do a, it needs a exterior paint job. It has some lead paint violations we need to clear up, but we are going to keep it occupied, fix it up and most likely refinance on that one. Cause I think I want to hold it, but we may sell it depending on the market. So yeah, there's a few things going on there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
but like I said, primarily buy and hold a mix of different financing that started off conventional, some cash, some private lenders and seller financing um, and some good commercial deals through the local banks. Very cool. Um, and so we talked about this at the beginning of the show, but you live in Jersey City, New Jersey. And where, where are these properties that you own located? Um, I have all my eggs in one basket and that basket is called Syracuse, New York. Okay. Um, it's central New York. So I don't know if, if some of the listeners know, but it's, it's, uh, close to Rochester, close to Buffalo. It's up North. Um, Amazon just announced today that they have a multi-million dollar fulfillment center, um, that's in the works up there. That's bringing another 1000 jobs, which is going to be great. For us, um, Syracuse is, uh, has a rather high unemployment rate even pre-COVID, so this will be great for us. Um, but it's a very high cash flowing market. Appreciation isn't really, is kind of just a cherry on the top there if it happens. Um, but most more recently, we've been seeing um, quite a spike in house prices, especially now which is really unusual. We weren't expecting that. Um, but low inventory, price, houses are flying off the market in like one day or less with multiple offers. Oh, it's wow. crazy. Um, but yeah, a, a high cash flowing market, um, very affordable prices of the homes up there. So, and this is something good to talk about on the show. So how, how far away is Syracuse from where you currently live? Just drive, driving wise. Four and a half hour drive. Okay. I also own the lion's share of my portfolio in a market, you know, that's outside of where I live. Um, most right. of my stuff's in Fort Worth, Texas. And that's. I love Fort Worth. I, did, I bought I, my first property there. Oh, did you? I absolutely yeah. love Fort Worth. Like, it's one of my yeah. favorite cities. I used to live yep. there, but, you know, I'm currently in Huntsville, Alabama. So Fort Worth's a good right. tw- 12 hours from me. But, wow. I kn- I, but I knew that market really well. And, we chose to invest there because, you know, we looked at the growth that's occurring there, both job, yeah. job growth, population growth, the business environment, you know, the state's pro-business mindset, yeah. you know, all those things together. And then the price point of the properties, the rental rates that, you know, we can get, right. you know, the, the opportunities for finding distressed properties that we could fix up and rent out. And right. we decided that would be a great place for us. So, you know, there's, there's a school of thought in investing that you just need to invest where you live. And I just think that a lot of people spend their wheels trying to invest where they live when it's not a great market to invest in, you know, for whatever reason, it could be the price points too high. It could be that, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's people leaving, you know, there's not any population growth. The population is actually declining, whatever it is. There's, you know, people tend to spend their wheels sometimes on where to invest. So why did you choose Syracuse? And you mentioned some of these factors before, but I like that you're doing this and I want to, I want to try to help people think through this, you know, uh, for themselves. So walk us through why you chose Syracuse over Jersey City. Well, you know, at the time when I first started investing, I was living in Manhattan. Um, And I mean, the prices, just buying something in Manhattan, you know, I still rent my apartment. My husband and I rent here in Jersey City, more just because, and Grant Cardone would be very proud of me, but um, 
I mean, the price, the money that we would have to have for a down payment to buy even just our own house here, let alone an investment property. I mean, my budget just didn't fit it, but I didn't want that to hold me back from starting to invest. Um, ideally, I would love to be one of those people that can just drive around the neighborhood, drive for deals, check on my properties. Um, I had some landscaping done yesterday. I would have probably done it a little different if I'd been there to tell the guy where to put the plants. <laughs> um, and I mean, these are the things that uh, if you live close to your properties, you can enjoy, you know, mm -hmm. obviously when out of state investors have a harder time because we're, we're not there all the time. We have to rely on property managers, other people to see and do a lot of the stuff that we could otherwise do ourselves. But I don't think, you that should hold you back. Like I know investors in LA, they're investing in Tennessee, mm -hmm. even in people living in Colorado, South Carolina, they want to invest in Rochester or Syracuse. So mm -hmm. how I found Syracuse was, you know, my first property I purchased in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I was going for appreciation. So I was newer. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand cash flow. Um, and I was like, this is great. I'm going to buy this property. It's going up in value that it's a hot market and I'm buying for appreciation. I didn't know that that wasn't really a great strategy. The property didn't cash flow very well. Um, I ended up selling it last year for a, a nice gain, but it wasn't really going to be a long-term strategy mm -hmm. that would work for me. Um, and so at that point, I was like, right. Where can I spit? Where do I have the budget to be able to buy something that's going to give me the return that I needed? And I started looking at kind of just Googling, even. I was looking at articles, high cash, you know, on bigger pockets. Where are the high cash flowing property markets? Where can I, I get a, a good return with the amount of money that I had available? Um, and it was just, it was as simple as that. I took a, a trip up there, I connected with a broker. Um, I think I've been to Syracuse probably like five times in three years. I don't need to be there. I don't want listeners to think that, you know, just because you live out of state or not close to where you your target market is, that that should be an excuse to hold you back because you can get it done. You just have to have a, the right team and be in contact with them. Um, and it, it works for me. It's fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love you know? it. Yeah, and and to your point, you know, the the cash flow is the lifeblood of your rental portfolio. If, 100%. if your cash flow is too thin, you're in a precarious situation because if something unexpected happens, which it always does, by the way, COVID nineteen, so, yeah, for that, example, that one, that one was a bigger one than we're used to, but. <laughs> Yes. But, you know, it should almost not be called unexpected because it's like the randomness of what goes wrong in real estate is is almost predictable. But um, yeah. but there's always stuff going wrong, right? So if you have thin cash flow, say you're cash flowing 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month or whatever, you know, yeah. there's it, you can easily be cash flow negative when something happens. So, Which is a disaster. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen investors say, well, is it okay if, you know, it's, I'm actually cash flow negative, but I know in two years this market is going to be, well, be hot. And I'm like, well, I mean, no, because there really are no guarantees. Yeah, I think yeah. appreciation has to be the cherry on the top. It's an added bonus, but you should yeah. always buy 
the cash flow with the buy and holds, you know. Right. I know right. it's different with flips and things, but Yeah. And so you mentioned Fort Worth. With Fort Worth, we found um wholesale we got on wholesaler list and that awesome. that yeah. helped us that helped us locate deals where we could get the cash flow and we believe it will appreciate well which will be the cherry on top so 100% yeah we were yeah. able to get that but if if we hadn't been finding deals through that channel we would not have been able to pull it off so exactly yeah so, I, um, I i actually paid asking price mm-hmm. in a very hot market yeah for a property that ended up going up in value but my cash flow was it was you know, it would have only been about $150 if you take CapEx and vacancy into mm-hmm. consideration. Luckily, I, I didn't have any vacancies and the property was on the newer side, so mm-hmm. nothing needed to be done. But it was a dangerous situation. Yeah. Luckily, it turned out fine, but it, it was a learning experience to say yeah. the least. You know? Yeah. I'm impressed that you were able to get 150 off of it paying full price and going that yeah. route. That's pretty, yeah. that's pretty impressive. Thankfully. Yeah. But... um. <laughs> Okay, so so back to your story, you talked about using seller financing on a number of these, and I, I love right. that option. How did you pull that off? How did you approach the seller, and, and how did you structure that? Well, it was actually through my broker. He uh, knew an investor that had purchased several properties, and he was offering seller financing. Um, so, you know, it was it was kind of like a a newer thing for me, but I just um, formed my LLC. And before I, you know, kind of wanted, like I said, build a reputation or a little bit of a track record through the, through the company before I started approaching commercial banks. Um, But I mean, it was, it was pretty easy. He was, I mean, the seller was looking for seller financing anyway. So um, we just negotiated a term. It was a nice long term. Um, we have a balloon at five years, but the amortization is on a 25-year. The interest was higher, um, but the property cash flows great, and you know, um, it didn't. I didn't have to take a credit hit. He didn't look at my credit. You know, it was just kind mm-hmm. of. It was a nice, easy, quick deal. Um, I plan to. I think I have. That was only a year ago. I have another four years before I need to to pay him back. Um, and yeah, it's just ticking along nicely. So that was, that was quite easy, but it was just through my broker, you know? Yeah. Um, so do you plan to refinance that out in, you know, I'm, to another I, third I'm, party financing at the five-year mark or what's your plan with that one? I may, I'm actually thinking most likely I will either sell it as part of a package. I own six other properties on that street. Um, and my thinking is at the moment, um, that might be a nice package to sell, uh, to an investor that wants ease of management with all properties on one block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but failing that I will most likely refinance it, um, or sell it. Um, nice. it's had a nice little bump. I've got a few exit strategies. I always try to keep a few. I don't want to just have one possibility. Sure. Um, in case and of course you know right now uh balloons and like any high interest financing i'm trying to get rid of anything like that so um but i would say either yeah refinance or sell it gotcha and you may have said this and i may have missed it but did 
did the owner own the property free and clear or did, did he have financing? He or she have financing that you he did, kept in place? Yeah. He owned it. He'd, he'd purchased it as a deal uh, a couple of years earlier, I think, free and clear. So he held, gotcha. you know, nice. so that was easy because I know it's very complicated otherwise. Um, and I, I've seen a couple of um, properties listed uh, and they're offering seller financing, but there's a mortgage on it already. So it gets very complicated. I try to steer well away from that. Yeah, that was um, that was something I was going to ask you about. My last guest, he did subject to financing and it's it's been good for him, but I was asking him kind of how he's, what his plan is with it. But that's, right. that's always interesting to me. Yeah. Um, okay, so with these 26 units, what are you on average per door profiting, would you say? Net of operating expenses and everything. On average, per per door, I mean, easily three or four hundred. Oh, I mean, nice. it's wild. Yeah, very very good cash flow up there. Um, I, you know, as the properties are older, so Syracuse, you know, a lot of the properties are pre nineteen fifty. I have a few properties nineteen twenties. I I keep you know my maintenance and repairs. We a lot of mechanicals. We're you know there the maintenance and repairs are definitely up there. Um, I like to put a lot of money back into the properties too. You know I do some landscaping and I'm trying to do my part to improve the properties that I have in the rougher neighborhoods as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I mentioned, but I have a lot of C class properties. Okay. Um, within the city. And I'm trying to slowly improve the properties that I own to improve the blocks and do my part sure. um, for this, you know, lower income housing. Doesn't mean that they should be neglected. There's some horrible landlords in Syracuse that expect tenants to live in terrible conditions. Um, but the cash flow is, I, I'm very happy with the cash flow. Yeah, that's um, great. I, I don't buy properties with old roofs if I can help it. A lot of my properties have a, like my seven unit just has a new 30 year torch down roof on it. Um, so I try to eliminate anything massive like that, that I can see coming up in the next 10 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, great cash flow. That's awesome. So yeah. um, you said Three to four hundred bucks a property is that is that after the debt service as well? That's after debt service. That's great. So Everything. you're looking at yeah. you're looking at right around nine thousand dollars a month of passive income. That's it's like correct. Nearly one hundred ten thousand dollars a year, which is extraordinary. That is that's great. Um. um yes. So you, you mentioned fixing your properties up. Um. What what's your what's your strategy with I know you're working in real estate full time. What's your strategy with this hundred and ten thousand dollars that you have a year to grow this thing? And and I guess what's your I guess what's your like goal over the next two or three years with this? Um, you know, it 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 changes. So at the beginning of this year, my goal was right, I'm going to get to twenty units in twenty twenty. Um but I realized plans change circumstances like what's happening right now, for example, um, I tried not to become too focused on the numbers. You know, I found that I was putting, you know, as I was moving forward, 
um, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to to make these goals. Like, right, okay, I have to rush. You know, I, I need to get to 20 units. That's the goal that I've set for myself. Even though I've passed that already, mm-hmm. I was putting a lot of pressure and I, I felt like I was starting to rush and just to get deals done or a deal would come on the market. I'll be like, right, let's do it. I want to get to this 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now, you know, with this uncertain time that we're in, I've been really lucky that my rents are coming in. I have a large number of Section 8 tenants. I'm getting 100% rent collection this month. Last month, I had one tenant that wasn't paying. I think my focus right now is just to try and lower my debt if I can refinance um, with lower rates, longer terms. I think, honestly, it's not too much about pushing forward to grow and get to these big numbers. And it's more about putting money back into the properties, maintaining them, just taking a little step back and just not growing too quickly mm-hmm. um, and just focus on what I've got in the meantime um, and just seeing where we are in a few months' time. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be some great deals coming on the market. Um, I just kind of want to keep some liquidity, plenty of right, you know, just give myself a good cushion. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, uh, there'll be a government shutdown and section eight will stop paying all my rents <laughs> and I won't be cash flowing at all. I mean, you just don't know. I think sure. it's a time to be a little safer. I've made an aggressive push this year so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. There was a lot of fear when COVID, you know, first first happened. I know a lot of investors and, and friends of mine pulled out of deals. Um, I just kind of pushed through all that. I've continued to stick with the deals that I had under contract pre-pandemic. Um, but I feel like it's time to breathe a little bit now and just kind of get these last few properties closed and see where we go from there. Yeah. I think reserves are huge right now. Um, yeah. And I think a lot yeah. of people, you know, as Warren Buffett said, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming with no clothes on. So uh, <laughs> I think a lot, I think a lot of people that didn't have adequate reserves are really getting burned right now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but I've also been really intrigued by the fact that, you know, March, April, and May, we collected 100% of our rents. We did have, one tenant that paid us late. Um, and we had a couple of tenants that had domestic violence issues in their, in their homes, which was something that was abnormal, but everybody paid. And, you know, our fear was like, you know, half of our tenants are not going to pay because they're not making any money at work, but we've been pleasantly surprised. And it sounds like, you know, even with section eight, you've only had one that had problems, you know, and I, you know, knock on wood, I don't anticipate a government shutdown. So, I mean, I, I, and I think, you know, I know I have another friend that owns a lot of Section 8 and he's been really happy because he's, you know, he's getting checks from the government even when. Right. He's not worried. Right. Yeah, even I mean, when the tenants, you know, you know, even if a tenant misses payment, it's only for a portion and a lion's share of it's coming from the government on his stuff. Exactly. So yeah. I love Section 8. How, how What's your experience with Section 8 been like? I'm an advocate. You know, in the beginning, and I've I've done a YouTube on this because I get a lot of newbie investors asking me this because there is a negative stigma attached to Section 8. I don't know where that all comes from, but 
I mean, when I first started investing, my broker, my property manager said, I think we should put section eight in here. And I was just like, no, I don't. But it it came from an uneducated place. I didn't know really about section eight. Um, I had no experience. I was just like, kind of just went to a negative place in my mind. Um, But slowly started to, to have more section eight tenants and touch wood. I've had no problems. Um, That's great. They're grateful. You know, there there are inspections in place too. You know, Section 8 inspect the property before um, it's approved for the renter. And then they're supposed to go twice a year to check that the tenant's not doing damage to the property. I know in some places this isn't kind of upheld. um, But I've had no problems. In fact, the tenant that wasn't paying me last month, she ended up just moving out um, with no notice. And she was a cash paying tenant, perfect on paper, B plus neighborhood, a lovely renovated property. And she fell two months behind and, and then she just moved out, out of nowhere, no notice. And she was like the perfect, what you would call a perfect cash paying tenant that you would expect would have no problems. And she skipped out. So it's hard. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I would never invest in C-class properties in Section 8. No, I would only only like to buy in C and B class neighborhoods with cash paying tenants and good collar, you know, blue collar jobs or whatever. But what I've realized over the last three years is there's really it. You really there's no difference. You know, I'm collecting all my rents now, and I had a cash paying tenant not pay in one of my better neighborhoods and one of my better properties. So. It's really, I think it comes down to vetting the tenants and just taking the time to do the background checks, the credit checks, whatever you need to do, and providing good good housing and a nice, safe place. And people people respond to that, I think. You know, like Absolutely. my tenants have all lived there a long time and they're happy and they call us with problems, but they're not nagging us. Right. And, you know, I've had one property that, it was pretty damaged after um, a tenant moved out and they were only there for one year and I ended up selling it because the rehab was so expensive to get it back. Um, she was on a form of uh, government assistance, um, but, I mean, you just never know. Sure. You know? So what? what's the average, I guess, purchase price and rental rate for these properties that you own? Okay, I hope you're sitting down. I'm sitting down. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit. I'll, um, I'll move from the chair to the floor if that'll help. <laughs> so I started off. You know, my first couple of singles, I was purchasing in the sixty k range, um, rented for about twelve fifty. Whoa! Um, I buy singles now for thirty, thirty five, forty. Um, one of my newer single acquisitions is rented now for 1095 section 8 and I paid $41,500 for it. It's rented for what? Uh 1095. Okay, 1095 and you paid 10, how much? 41? 41,500. Um my I mean my commercial properties you know, I mean, I got an amazing deal on the mixed use. I only paid 125000 for it. 
it brings in three thousand and fifty dollars. Wow. Um, I mean, stuff is is cheap, but I mean, you still have to get deals. I've seen sure. very expensive multi units going for fifty k a unit, and I know some investors are going to be like fifty k unit. That's so cheap. But in Syracuse, you know, multis. You know, my my uh, seven unit I picked up for thirty two thousand a unit. Um, that brings in a whopping for. Four thousand five hundred mm. a month uh, gross. These are all gross amounts. Um, so there's a you know rents are high. It's like in Texas, my property. You know, I purchased for one sixty. It only rented for fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look at the comparison, and I mean, Syracuse is a it's it's an expensive rental market. Yeah, rents are expensive there. So for the, the for the cost. So, so the rental ratio on that house you gave me that was ten ninety five rent and you bought it for forty one five, the rental ratio on that one is two point six percent, which is great for for yeah. a cash flow property for a single family. And to exactly. find to figure out the rental ratio for those of you who are not familiar with that, just take the monthly rent and divide that by the purchase price. So in this situation, take ten ninety five. Divide that by forty one five or forty one thousand five hundred, and that's going to yeah. give you you know point oh two six so two point six percent, and that rental ratio is a really quick way to figure out you know how good a property is going to cash flow, and um, you said you've right. got one that's over three percent. It sounded like so yeah, and, and yeah. these are cash cows. So these things are really kicking off a lot of cash. Yeah, I mean, but like I mentioned also, you know, what comes with that is sometimes, you know, they're older properties. So sometimes the repairs are more, you know, the turnovers, you know, they're outdated units. We have a budget to um, update, especially the commercial property that I purchased for $125. It's going to need substantial rehab at some point when the units become vacant or have to replace the kitchen. So, you know, taking that into consideration, um, but the cash flow blows the one percent rule out of the water. Oh yeah, blows the two percent rule out of the water. Um, so yeah, but a very high cash flowing market, which is why I love it. I'm clapping. This is me clapping for you. <laughs> I'm cla- that that is well done. I mean, I think that's the highest rent ratio of anybody I've interviewed. So um, right, good job. That's that's why you're getting close. You know, around one hundred ten thousand dollars of passive income a year off this. That's that's uh, quite the accomplishment. I love it. Luckily, because modeling has been very slow. Let's just say that. <laughs> so, uh, so when you're buying these, you know, in my mind, you know, my experience with $40,000 houses and especially older houses is that, you know, when I buy a $40,000 house here in Huntsville, there's a lot of stuff I need to fix, which can right. get really expensive. And then if they're older, there's expensive items breaking all the time, like plumbing, you know, oh boy. AC, yep. you know, HVAC, you know, electric, st- electric, electric's bad on old ones. Um, so when you buy these, what do you do on the front end? And you mentioned working with private investors. Tell us how you, you structure these now. Are you buying these with private money, fixing them up with private money, then refinancing out of it? Or how, how are you doing that too? Yeah. So the, Three unit that I just closed on, um, I was able to purchase that cash thanks to a private investor, so other people's money. Um, I offered him, the investor, 12% return because the property is cash flowing so well, um, even as we renovate this. So 
we were able to get this property very cheap. It was a distressed seller situation. Um, he was in a partnership. They were they actually owed more on the property than what it was listed for. It had it needs it's a very large property. It's a three unit, but it's like a big house. It needs a full paint job. Basically, it wasn't marketed very well, and it was listed for really low. So we came and picked that up cash. I'm using um, the private investor's money. We are going to completely paint the exterior of the property. It needs some new subfloors in the bathrooms, some new kitchen cabinets. Um, you know, like I said, the the units are occupied. Um, but it's substantially undervalue this property, even for the area. Um, even in a horrible market, um, this property was still, we picked it up for way less than what it should be. Sure. So my strategy, you know, always with these properties is, you know, I have my contractor, uh, my broker walks the properties. We look at the big, the big things. So do they have hardwood floors that we can refinish? How old are the mechanicals? Um, we get great deals on all those. They're like hot water heaters. It's not a massive expense. I like to make sure the roofs aren't too old. We don't want to replace a roof ever. Um, and, you know, it's basically just having a budget to go in and, and stabilize these properties and bring them back to life, really. Um, and then either selling them or, or refinancing. That's the plan with this one. I, I really want to hold this property, I think. Gotcha. So you were able to purchase this property using private money. Are you using private money yeah. for the rehab as well? Or are you, how are you funding yeah. that? Okay. For the, for the rehab as well. Okay. Um, on this one, just keep it nice and clean. Um, and I think we'll end up putting about 15000 into it only. Okay. Got a great deal on the paint job. Uh, it needs a new porch, cup, you know, some kitchen cabinets and things. Nothing massive. It's not a, it's not a full-on burr, mm-hmm. and um, it's lower-income housing. So we're not putting stainless steel appliances and marble right. countertops in. So the, the the turns or the the flips are are relatively low cost. Okay. Um, and I work with the same contractor. He gives me a deal. Um, so that all works out pretty well. I mean, it always costs more than you think it uh, will though, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he'll, he'll quote me, well, that'll be three to $4,000. I know it's going to be $4,000. Yeah. I don't even know why it's, it's three, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or they, what they do when they quote me is it'll be $4,000. Then we finish, it's like 4,500, you know. Oh, so, I hate that. So, yeah. but it's like they're, they're saving me money compared to so many others that I don't, re- I don't really bust their chops on it, you know? So, right. And it's uh, about building that relationship, it is, right? Like, it is. I, I love working with the same people. Yeah. And I, I actually don't think they're taking advantage of me. I, I really do think they're, they're finding stuff along the way that's costing them more money. So, right. um, yeah. so like, I don't, if I, if I thought they were just lying to me, I wouldn't work with them, but they're not. So, right. They're not all bad. No, no. We, we've, <laughs> we've gone through a number of contractors to find the contractors we have now. We love our contractors now. They're awesome. Right. So, yeah. Um, well, very cool. Well, well, this is, uh, this is all really inspiring. I mean, you've built a really, really robust portfolio of, of high cash flow properties. And, um, I love, I love the way you're going about this using private money 
Um, yep. Seller financing. I mean, you're pulling out all the stops. And so a bit I'm, of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. I think the only thing I'm yet to do is a 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to do that at some point, but I, I want to try everything out. And, you know, I'd like to successfully pull off a, a proper burr, mm-hmm. um, but the opportunity kind of hasn't hasn't come up yet with that. But I hope to be able to do that at some point. Um, so, well, yeah, I mean, sound, that will be fun. It sounds like this current deal you're doing, I mean, you bought it for 40, you're putting 15 into it. So I bought it for, yeah, 32. I bought it for 32. Oh, you bought it for 32. Okay, so you're in it for yeah. 47. What do you think it's worth? About seventy five, eighty. Yeah. yeah, so you could conservatively. So you could yeah. re, you could easily burr out of that one, have yeah. that have that so, have that paid off, and and have be in it seventy five percent loan to value or less, and it be cash flowing like crazy. And you could exactly. take the, take that interest rate down from twelve percent to like three point five percent. It's what we just refinanced ours at. So right, um, right. I, mean, I don't know what rates are like in New York right now, but um, but we it's were shocked. We were shocked yeah. they were so low here. So. Yeah, um, I think my commercial came in at about 4.5 or something. Gotcha. I mean, not horrible. Everything's under 5%. That's fine. Yeah. Um, you know. Very cool. Well, um, this has all been awesome. Let's let's transition over to maybe a couple books that you would recommend people checking out if you've got some that, uh, that you well, like. Well... Um, let me think, dream it and build it. (laughs) (laughs) I I did not tell her to to say that up front either. This is. (laughs) No, uh, I have to say congratulations. I meant to say congratulations on this awesome book. I think I was one of the first people to buy it on Amazon. You were, you were one of the first people to buy it and to review it. So I owe you big time. Thank you so much. So kind. It's a great book. Thank you for, it's just a really neat read and I keep going back to it and reading the the quotes and things. It's really different and really a refreshing. So that's number one. Um, of course, um, my idol, Brian Murray, <laughs> one of the, probably about the third book I ever read was Investing in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate. I just love that book. Wonderful It's book. inspiring and it does make me want to go bigger at some point and get more into apartment, you know, small apartments, whatever. But Brian's writing is awesome. Um, I agreed. I love that book. I one of the other books that I, I turn back to quite often, and even as I've come this far, Brandon Turner's book on rental property investing. Mm-hmm. One of the first books I read, and it really it just it's clear, and I recommend it to all the newbies that I speak to because I think it just kind of sets. It's easy to read. It's clear. It sets everything out. Um, and that really got me going and I learned a lot from that book. And I mean, I know everyone says that, but I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. That was one of my top five books that I ever read when, you know, when I first started. So yeah, I think yeah, that's like my top four. <laughs> I, I change that. I change that all the time. Well, I'm, I try and I'm happy to yeah. be listed in there with those other ones. <laughs> no, I love your book. It's oh, so great. Thank you so much. And it's different. You know, there's a lot of real estate investing books out there. Um, I love everything that Bigger Pockets puts out, though. Um, yeah, they do a <clears> lot of good stuff. Do a lot of great stuff. Um, I just got the Intelligent Investor, but I'm having a hard time getting into it. Um, I think just because it's more stock heavy, of course, yeah. I'm like way more real estate focused and I, I don't understand a lot about the stock market and how all that works, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to get through it. 
That's ben- Benjamin Graham, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's um that's like one that Warren Buffett read to get his stuff going. I, yeah, I quickly I, figured out like I love Warren Buffett. He's one of my favorites and I've been to Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting and right. read some of Intelligent Investor, really liked it, but I quickly figured out that I'm not nearly as good at st- the stock market stuff as I am real estate cuz I would I would <laughs> yeah. I would do a lot of analysis on a stock and discover like okay, everything looks like this is a buy. Right. And I would buy it and hang on to it and it would go up. And then for some crazy reason that was outside of my control, it would just take a nosedive. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, I can control real estate a lot more than I can yeah. this other, you know? And It's out of your control. I think it's a lot of luck. It's, it's a gamble. But I mean, it's like everything's a gamble, right? Even real estate. It you is. Know? Yeah. And Kenny Rogers... Kenny Rogers, RIP, but he said it with a song, the the gambler or whatever. Yeah. You know, know when to hold him, know when to fold him and know when to walk away, you know, yep. know when to run exactly. Yep, yep, that's so exactly right. Just don't know. And yeah. you know, what's been interesting and you've you've um kind of backed this up again, but you know, COVID-19 happened. That's kind of the black swan event for me. I mean, I I owned yeah. rental properties in 2008 and this has been I think there were some different issues then, but this has been a more kind of a, a crazier, weird experience than that was because that wasn't people getting sick as well as the economy struggling. Right. So this has been kind of like, you know, the the doozy of unexpected events. But the interesting thing for us has been, although we've, we were required to put a little mo- more money down on our refinances, we haven't lost right. it. We haven't lost any money and no. our tenants are still paying. So, right. you know, and then I look yep. at my friends invested in the stock market and those that had a lot of money in stocks were really sweating it as the stock market really? took a nosedive and it's recovered some. Right. But, uh, yeah, but I'm happy with my of, decision yep. to invest in real estate right now. So me too. Me too. I feel good about it. Um, I, you know, a couple of my private investors had a lot of money in the stock market. They pulled it out and now I invest it for them. So that's kind of a win-win too, because my, my, you know, it's just kind of, it's stable for them in the meantime, yeah. but um, I, I don't know. I just, I don't understand enough about the stock market. I had a stock portfolio when I was younger, didn't understand it, confusing, lost money with it. Someone else controls it. it it's, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, it is what it is. It's, I, it's not for me, but that's fine. I remember when I was in high school, we had a class that we traded stocks in and, you know, there was a handful of us in there and we all, pick stocks and had this competition and I won, which made me think I knew what I was doing, which was the worst right. thing that could have happened to me because right. from then on I bought stocks and it just went up and down and made almost no progress for me. So I truly believe now, like if I were to just have my money in the stock market, I would buy index funds, leave right. it, leave it be, just let it go, get that 8% a year, seven, 8% a year, just let yeah. that compound over time. So since that's what I would be doing, my alternative is real estate where I can beat that seven or 8% a year. And that's why I'm heavily involved in real estate. So, right. And just to be more involved, I think there's something especially that I love about real estate is the fact that I can provide something that's changing someone's life, not changing it. Right. But like I'm providing something for someone else that otherwise wouldn't be there. I mean, a home, people live their lives in home. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, mm-hmm. and we're, making them nice. And I think there's something really neat about that. It is, it does feel like in a way we're giving back and back to the community by fixing them up and painting them and mm-hmm. taking care of our sidewalks. It, it's, 
I like that involvement. Yeah. Think about what the world would be like if every real estate investor took care of their properties and took care of their tenants. Yeah, you I know. know. It'd, it's, be, it's it'd be great. It's a shame. So. I think people lose sight of that a little bit. It, it just becomes the numbers and how many I can do. And I think I, you know, I get a great amount of enjoyment from knowing that I'm doing the best that I can um, in providing these properties. And, you know, whether I get any thanks for it from the city or from the tenants or whatever, it doesn't matter. I know I've done my part and that makes me feel good. So Absolutely. I love it. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. And um, I'm looking forward to continuing to track with all your progress. And where can, you. where can the listeners connect with you? Um, Instagram, I'm uh, the model dot investor. <laughs> um, and I have a YouTube channel where I just share my experiences too. The same name, the model dot investor. Um, you can find all my stuff on there and reach out. I always love talking to new investors too and send me questions. I don't charge for any of my time. Ask me anything. Happy to help and share the share the wealth around. Very cool. Thanks so much for sharing. And I got to go check out your YouTube channel. I've seen some stuff oh on boy. Instagram. Your Instagram's really cool, but I got to go check out the YouTube <laughs> Thank channel. Thank you. So. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll catch you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please connect with me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor or via email at josiasmelser at gmail.com. My new book titled Dream It and Build It, How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals is out. You can get it either in digital or physical format on Amazon. Once you've read the book, please leave me a review. Tune in next time for another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor as we both join in our financial freedom journey.